Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. We also invite listeners to send any questions, comments, and other feedback that they may have to our new email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Please let us know what subjects you would like us to discuss, and if you prefer that your name be mentioned on the show or remain anonymous. Thank you. Good afternoon, all. Hey, everybody. everyone. Welcome. Okay, so we're going to start out with the topic du jour, which is the trial in, uh, in Minneapolis. I just want to share some of my thoughts, and then you guys can enjoy debating me. So among my thoughts, number one, it's interesting to me that people say we need to wait for a jury to decide. Now that a jury has decided, how many people in this country have changed their mind? Those who believe that Chauvin was guilty would have believed he was guilty even if the jury acquitted him. And those who believe he's innocent believe he's innocent now and that the jury only convicted him because of all the pressure from the outside. And I can tell you that almost every podcast I've listened to today um, and yesterday talking about the verdict from the conservative side they all basically say there's no way in the world he was guilty, he shouldn't have been convicted. It's only because of Maxine Waters and Biden, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not to mention which a lot of people believe that even though he was convicted, at least part of it will be overturned turned on appeal. Um, now, you know, I'm not a big jury guy. I don't think juries can decide the truth any more than flipping a coin can decide the truth, except for we really don't have any other means of judging whether somebody is guilty or not. But um, it's also very obvious that the anti-cop side was never gonna be satisfied. If they hung Chauvin today, they would say, eh, it's not even really a good start. So nothing that happens to him or to the whole department is ever gonna make him happy because I don't think they really wanna be happy. And um, personally, I wanna say that my feelings about what he did aside Hearing that anybody is happy with this verdict unnerves me. There's nothing happy about any of this stuff. And I think Chauvin did a horrible thing, no matter how we categorize it, but I'm not happy he was convicted. It may be the right thing or not, because it's not something that makes me happy to see any human being go to jail for almost anything. It doesn't make me happy. Um, I may be satisfied that quote unquote justice was done, I just don't like the word happy. Of course, I don't like the word happy for Memorial Day. People go around, happy Memorial Day. No, it's not a happy day. Anyway, that, that's my two cents. And now y'all can jump all over me. Look, I mean, the whole, the whole situation is tragic. And I, I don't want to come off as of saying I feel sorry for Chauvin. But I, I, I have to put myself in his shoes for a moment. And that guy must be going through that, 20, that nine minutes, 29 seconds, every nine minutes and 20 seconds of every day since then and saying, how the hell did this happen to me? Um, I don't know what was going through his head, but 
that being said, I'm probably the one that watched more of the trial than any of us. I probably watched, I'd say at least 80% of it. I thought the defense was doing a good job up until the uh, state called Dr. Tobin, who's a pulmonologist. And you could just sense it, it was palpable. The guy was, he's probably the leading pulmonologist in the world just about is the way he came across. And he convinced that jury that George Floyd just could not breathe and that was the cause of death. And that was the central part of this whole trial. From the outset, I thought it was gonna end up being competing autopsies, competing causes of death. It didn't turn out to be that way in my opinion. The state made a more compelling, convincing case. You couple that with a video that's shown over and over again with, with Chauvin's on his knee, uh, with his knee on his back or his shoulder or his neck, nonchalantly. Well, then you find out that that's probably when he took his last breath. And that's why this jury convicted him on all, on all the counts, as simple as that. The I gotta say, Steve, I, powerful I case. someone, I'm sorry, Mike, were you not done? No, go ahead. Oh, I was someone that's, that was persuaded or, or changed my mind. Uh, I, I went into this trial legitimately with an open mind about it. Uh, the video is pretty damning, uh, but the, the autopsy report that I had seen showed that there was no neck trauma and it showed, and it also showed that he had a toxic level of fentanyl in his blood, multiple, multiple times the, the minimum amount to kill you. Um, and I want, and, and I, I wondered, you know, as Mike just put it, I thought it was going to be a competing case of, you know, competing experts, competing autopsy reports. It didn't turn out that way because the defense really didn't push that. Um, and I think I, even though I know that no defendant is required to testify and you have an absolute privilege against self-incrimination, I think that Chauvin needed to get on that stand. And, you know, Mike was just saying that he must be wondering, you know, thinking to himself, what was I doing for that 929? Well, I bet the jury was thinking that too. And I think the jury needed to know what was going on in his head. Why would, why did he think he needed to do that? And to me, his refusal to testify it sort of changed my mind about the case. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I still don't know what happened. I mean, I, I know what happened. We saw it, but you know, there were so many things that happened over the last year. I mean, I remember, you know, shortly after May 25th last year, it may, may have been June or July last year, it came out in the news that uh, Chauvin and, and Floyd had actually worked together. Remember that they had worked, he had worked together. That didn't come out in the trial. I was expecting that there was some personal history between them, that maybe he knew something about him. Maybe he knew that he was a very violent man. Maybe they had some personal animus. I don't know. But he didn't get on the stand and testify, so I don't know. Well, and we don't know what happened pre-trial, right? To some extent, there might have been some evidence that was they were told they couldn't bring. Okay, so quick question. So Mike and Ed, you do not believe that this was the jury caving to the pressure and the threats? Look, I, I think... We'd have to be naive to think that if they had come back with a guilt, a not guilty verdict across the board, that that jury didn't know that that was going to wreak havoc on their city. So I, I can't sit here and say that that wasn't part of their calculation, but I think the state did enough that they didn't have to get to that point to say, well, you know, should we just do manslaughter? Or, you know, I, I think they were convinced that he was guilty of all three charges. So I, I don't think that ended up being the factor in their decision. I think that they, they were clearly intimidated, but I don't think it was, I don't think it had any effect on the, on the outcome. And 
if anything, I was, I'm more disturbed by the, the settlement and the widespread publication of the settlement that the city went, came, uh, entered with the Floyd family. I mean, that was basically an admission of guilt when, uh, when they, what did they settle for $27 million that they gave the Floyd family and they publicized it. I mean, the, 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 the state has an absolute obligation under the constitution to provide a fair trial. And they, and Chauvin's attorneys had moved for a change of venue. It was denied. Um, I, I think in retrospect, that was a, if there's going to be any reversal in a case, I think that's the best grounds for it. I think that the, the settlement that the, that the city got entered with the Floyd family, not just the settlement, but the widespread publication of it, it should have, it should, they shouldn't have settled before the trial, but if they did, there should have been some sort of confidentiality order together with that, because I think it polluted the jury pool. And I don't think question question for both of you, then you would agree then that the conservative writers and there are many of them out there today saying this was the jury caving to intimidation. That's not a nice thing to do that. They're just stirring up the pot rather than saying the jury heard all the evidence. They came to a conclusion. We agree or don't agree, but that's it. Because what they're doing in essence is saying the jury didn't give it. And they're saying. They no, deliberated for a very short time. That's absolute proof. They didn't give a hoot about the evidence. They were just scared. So you. No, you I think it's important that that it's that that point be made and that and that not just fade into history and just be ignored. I, ultimately, I don't think that that's going to win an appeal. Ultimately, I don't think it was dispositive, but it. I think it's very real. I think that we really do have a, a, a serious problem of jury intimidation right now, and and I think it needs to be said out loud. I th- I think it's important that these hosts are talking about it. I mean, I heard Daniel Horowitz talk about it. Um, I've heard some other people, I don't remember names, but I think it needs to be said. Um, What does that say about the jury system if we're going to say they only did it because they were intimidated? I don't think if it's true. I don't don't think that's the case. I don't think they only did it because they were intimidated. I'm saying that a lot of people are writing that. Right, but I, I think that it's crucial that we not let it go uns- unsaid and unnoticed that the intimidation was done. It was intentional. It was intended. Whether it worked or not, whether it was the thing that drove the jury is a different question. But there's no doubt in my mind or in any reasonable person's mind that the BLM people, Maxine Waters in particular, definitely tried to intimidate the jury. I don't think that they succeeded, but they tried. And that in and of itself is a problem. Okay, quick legal question. How many precedents are there for an appeal to overturn a verdict just based on change of venue? I don't know, but my guess is it's small to to none. Yeah, Um, I think it's slim. I I mean, I'll defend the conservative take. Um, You know, I'm no fan of the the way the police operate. I did not look at the trial. I listened to the legal insurrection analysis. Um, I, I thought he did a good job. He, he, he wrote everything down and, and then he read everything as a podcast and I listened to him. Um, you know, the law is relatively clear and the jury instructions are relatively clear uh, on the various charges. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he was innocent of both, um, you know, not just not guilty, but actually innocent of uh, second degree murder and third degree murder. I, th- I think, again, 
the manslaughter charge, I think, is one where you could really deliberate for quite a long time and try to understand whether, in fact, he was guilty of manslaughter. And the, the thing is that there are a large number of factors involved in uh, Floyd's death, all coming together at that one point. There was his um, heart disease. The doctor testified that if he had found uh, someone with this amount of heart disease, uh, he is an imminent risk for a heart attack, 75% in one artery and 60 some odd percent in the other two arteries. There's doctor who testified that, um, you know, he had three times the lethal limit of fentanyl. And it turns out that um, while um, you can be, a, you can be, um, you can get used to opiates um, from a, I need, uh, yeah, I, I taught you, you can tolerance. gain tolerance for opiates for uh, for the way it makes you feel. Um, the amount of tolerance you gain for the way it affects your respiratory system is is much lower than that. You do get tolerance, but it's much lower than that. So you've got that. He had COVID. So there's that. And then um, he couldn't breathe when he was in the car. He had fallen asleep. Uh, in the car twice, according to his girlfriend, um, which again, fall asleep, middle of the day, that's a fentanyl thing. Um, and then he, you know, then he had this 140 pound cop on his back. Now, I don't think anybody, when taking all those things together, um, would think that the cop played no role. Uh, having this, this cop pushed down on your back and, and that, I, you know, I think when you look at the, the circumstances, you say, well, I, you know, obviously the cop on his back played a role. So, you know, was the cop on the back the decisive factor? Well, it in doesn't have death? to be decisive. It just has to be substantial. Substantial. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the substantial. Substantial factor in his death. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but it wasn't murder. There's no question that it wasn't it wasn't murder. Uh, it certainly wasn't murder two, um, because he wasn't committing a felony, and it certainly wasn't murder three because that's that a, has nothing to do with this sort of. That's like throwing a brick off a bridge, and having it hit somebody. That has nothing to do with this. So I mean, the the judge allowed a lot of opinion from people who don't have the right to inject their opinion in the trial. Uh, especially the prosecutor who, um, who, uh, again, according to legal insurrection, every time the prosecutor spoke, it was to inject his opinion. The prosecutor testified more than some of the witnesses is basically what he uh, said. Um, the defense did a, a decent job, I think, um, you know, uh, for, for one guy having to do the whole trial, it was, it was a decent job. He, again, it, legal insurrection thinks he could have done some things better. Um, I, I think absolutely they uh, convicted him on all accounts because they were um, they were intimidated. These Black Lives Matter guys don't uh, mess around. They have burned 
large sections of cities down, not just Minneapolis, but others. They have doxxed large numbers of people and have come to their homes and have uh, firebombed some of people's homes that they don't like. Uh, every juror knew that their anonymity was going to be pierced um, because the state was uh, not honest about the whole thing. And they knew that if they voted to convict uh, their, they would have, uh, you know, people on their front yard chanting and screaming and some fraction of those would be, would be violent. So they absolutely, uh, I'm sure they took a vote and uh, they all voted to convict and, or, you know, maybe there was 11 to one on the murder two charge and they deliberated for an hour and ah, screw it, they're fine. <laughs> and and the, uh, on the murder two charge though, the underlying felony is battery or excessive use of force by a police officer. Yeah, I know, but that's clearly not true. I mean, let, let's- Why is it clearly well, not true? Because he didn't use excessive force. He did exactly what he was trained to do. And that was shown in How the trial. I know that without him getting on the stand and telling you what his fear was, what he was thinking. Well, of course, in retrospect, he should have testified. We all know that. Hey. But, Just let me say, the state, the state brought witnesses that said it was excessive use of force. I know they did. <laughs> okay, so can I ask why, there was other other officers around. He, it wasn't just the two of them. So if this was inappropriate uh, police behavior, where were the others? Well, they're, they're, they've been charged. The, the trials were severed. They're gonna be tried separately for aiding and abetting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they'll almost certainly be convicted now too. Well, you know, I heard Jonathan Turley actually say that the prosecution's closing argument included a statement that said uh, the other officers were powerless to stop Chauvin, and that he, Jonathan Turley. Oh, well, that's uh, there. Yeah. Well, that's it, hard. that's uh, horse duggies. the 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 issue is of all of the cops who behave badly and use excessive force and don't get even charged much less convicted. The Capitol policeman, uh, what's his name? Um, yeah, we're, we're gonna get to him in a the, second, yeah. Yeah, uh, Lieutenant Michael Leroy Bird, who killed Ashley Babbitt. He wasn't even charged. I think that was a questionable call, but he doesn't get charged. There's police all over the place that get away with all sorts of basically immoral acts against the public. They never get charged. But occasionally some guy uh, gets charged and uh, almost always, uh, you know, they're found innocent. This guy happened to be found guilty. And I, I honestly believe that they got the wrong well, guy on this one. I think Floyd, I think Floyd was dead about no somebody, what, what does it say about somebody who not only sat there for nine minutes plus, but did it knowing it was being videotaped and that it is going to go viral all over the world. Those who get away with it are not. Well, he he thought he was doing the right thing, obviously. Obviously thought he was doing the right thing. He had called the See, I don't EMTs, they were coming. I, let me disagree with you. I don't think it's obvious that he thought he was doing the right thing. I think another interpretation is he looked at those onlookers and said, F you, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'm the police officer. I'm the one in charge here. Shut the hell up and I'll, and I'll do my job. I don't think that it was necessarily well, him saying that he was doing the right thing. He might've just been showing off a little bit. But uh, maybe, but there's no. You know, it's going through his head. But I think the last thing that was going through his head was this guy's actually going to die underneath. 
You see, my, my biggest question was, and I don't want to get too stuck in the nitty gritty. Evidence. You, you feel that. somebody You saw Crowder. So that, that's what. Right? You saw Crowder reenact the thing. Crowder reenacted the Look, whole thing. In, in, my, he was in my opinion, a healthy person survives the treatment that we saw. That. And that's what Crowder we showed. In we his can't video. dismiss. I mean, we'd have to just say, forget all reason and rationality to say all these other factors, the health problems he had, the drugs in his system didn't play a role. The problem again is in the trial, the statement a convincing case that the substantial factor was the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't breathe and get, get air. The defense didn't do a good enough job getting around that. Well, I'm arguing the law on second and third degree murder. And I'm arguing yeah. the facts talk about manslaughter. So there's I a, get it. We talk about pressure on the jury. I have to wonder if there's, if there's one area where I'm saying to myself, where, where did this trial perhaps get corrupted, maybe? There had to be pressure on the court, the coroner, the medical examiner to say that it was a, 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 a cardiac arrhythmia or whatever it was, I forget what they called it. Uh, basically, you know, it's asphyxia. And the other cops, I mean, you just wonder behind the scenes what kind of politics is going on. But this guy Chauvin was going to be thrown under the bus. I mean, they weren't going to do anything to save this guy, considering everything that happened after George Floyd's death. They just weren't. So God only knows what some of these other officers were told and said, you're going to be testifying on behalf of the state and you're not going to F this up. And you know? I have a question, legal question. Am I correct that you can't appeal findings of fact, only findings of law? No, you can appeal findings of fact, but it's a much, much higher standard for reversal on findings of fact. I mean, it's almost impossible to undo findings of fact, but it, it, you know, if they come to something that's completely irrational and arbitrary and not supported by the testimony, you can, you can okay, get Okay, so it's first. just a much steeper hill. Yeah. Okay, moving on to double standards. Um, Maxine Waters getting away with riling up people for absolute violence while she was yelling at Trump for riling up people to do peacefully demonstrate and she's getting away with this. I mean, I don't wanna harp on double standards cause it's obvious, but this is way out there, isn't it? Well, the problem is the Republican party, the Republican party should be calling her the insurrectionist. And I mean, I, I'm aware of one person that's doing that and that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Surprisingly, the Republicans are sticking with her, at least for now, on this on this issue. But, you know, most people think of her as a kook. The Republican Party needs to be standing united. And if they have to. I mean, I don't know, I haven't thought it all the way through, but maybe they should be maybe they should walk out of a chamber. Maybe they should refuse to have a quorum in, before uh, until they have a vote on expelling Maxine Waters. What she did was so reprehensible and so over the line. I mean, even that leftist judge called her out by name. Yeah, but you know what? How many times does this have to happen? Really, the Republicans are so derelict in the conversations. You know, in listening to right. Joe, Joe Biden, you know, talking about the systemic racism. And they always want to make it seem. Yeah. The systemic it, racism is against in, whites. In the Democrat. In the, well, but all, but he, you know, the way they want to paint it. And my thing is, where is the Republican Party? Because it always comes that you know conservatives are the racist ones, America's racist. Why 
um, uh, Minneapolis hasn't been run by a Republican since like 1973. This is a Democrat run city. Detroit, Chicago, why can't they repeat that over and over and over again and say, look, the systemic racism is in your jurisdictions, clean it up. Why can't they say that over and over and over and over and over and over again? That's a great question, Jody. That's what they should be doing. That's what the left does. They pick, you know, um, a talking point and they're, they're brilliant at everyone repeating it over and over. And they're repeating lies over and over. Right. We just have we to can't even repeat truths over and over. Right. Exactly. The difference. The Washington generals never criticize the Harlem Globetrotters. That's the answer. Explain. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you might be smarter than everybody here, so you're going to have to explain that one. If you've ever gone to see the Harlem Globetrotters play, they play against another team, and it's called the Washington generals. And they're all white guys, of course, because the Harlem Globetrotters are all black. Uh, and they play well. They're really good basketball players, and they lose every single game, and they uh, get pay well paid for it. They get well paid for losing every single game, um, and they're and they're good basketball players. But the Harlem Globetrotters run rings around them, and that's our political system. Democrats are the Harlem Globetrotters, and the Republicans are the Washington Generals. They're well paid to lose, uh, and well, lose. That's the equation I get. I, I, I think the Republicans are well paid to lose, but the Democrats are not Harlem Globetrotters. They are the biggest morons on the planet. I mean, you got Hank Johnson in the in the Senate in the House. Who thinks Guam might tip over if we put enough people on it? I yeah, mean, but, Maxine uh, Waters, huh? I was just—I I was going to agree with you, but like, it's even worse than that because they can be incompetent, they can be derelict, they can even be criminal, and our education system and our media will make that sound like that's not true, or they'll soften it, or they'll completely bury it. So the American people don't even get even access to those realities half the time. Well, that's why the Republican well, Party I mean, needs McCarthy, to be giving them that. Yes. McCarthy, he's he's an he's a nobody. I mean, and then then there's Boehner, the last guy, and he he has written a book about how terrible uh, uh, President Trump was. And of course, Boehner's only uh, positive about him is that unlike the previous guy, he's not a pedophile that we know of that we know of. Um, so, I, and, and like Kevin McCarthy doesn't do anything, but yet all the Republicans vote for him. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're not no, serious. No, the Republicans are feckless and weak. We there's know. like, there's uh, like- Here's the thing, they're also always afraid of being called a racist. And now you- right. Like there was some crazy person nominated for some, you know, by Biden and only Rand Paul and Ted Cruz voted against it. It was 98 to two. It's like, that's it, huh? I think it was so, the deputy civil rights division. Yeah, yeah, the crazy person, right? And then then in the House, I mean, there's maybe a handful, five, six people who are, who are not crazy. So, uh, Mike, you know that whole, because I was having this conversation before about the fear of being called racist. And I watch on TV, and maybe we talked about this last week, I can't remember, but People on the right literally defend themselves and the entire conversation is defending themselves against the charge of racism, which what we should be doing is turning the table. We should be going, I'm not racist. And here's why everything you support are. Look 
at what you support and locking people in generations of poverty and violence, and yet you support the same things over and over. That is racist. Look what you're letting happen in Detroit. That is racist. Like we should not be accepting that charge and defending ourselves. We need to be putting it back on them. Don't forget that they're all pedophiles too. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole thing about racist is just let it roll off your back. No matter what you say, it's going to be racist. Don't call them racist because it doesn't matter. Of course, they're- You know what? I used to say that. I used to say that, but you know what? Our lack of getting, you know, having this conversation and ignoring it, it's not going to work. We have to start speaking up. We have to understand the enemy, I think, and understand that we need to start speaking up aggressively. I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking words. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the left defines racism as essentially being white. I mean, you can find Honestly, I think they define it as anything they disagree with because they'll call yeah. any color racist against, I mean, it really is. whatever. They don't they even use the term racist anymore. It's all white supremacists right. now. You True. Know? So, and like, we're white, so we must be white supremacists, I guess. True. You know, I, it's just you know, it's, it's, it's well, you know what the new, the new word I see coming the phrase. So I saw an interview and there were, it was a college student talking to um, that leader in Miami of the proud boys who is uh, what is he Cuban, I think, or something. And this something. white college kid is basically calling him a racist. And the um, Cuban is like saying, wait, so you think I'm racist? Do you, do you think I'm white? And the college kid said, I think you're white adjacent. And there you have it. New phraseology. I don't like you. Maybe you don't fit exactly in the racist thing. So I'm going to call you white adjacent. It's bizarre. It's really nothing new. I mean, Clarence Thomas. And if you, and if you look at it from. Years. And if you look at it from the communist perspective, um, you know, they have a point, right? It, it almost all of the wealth in this country is owned by you know the upper middle class and the rich and that's mostly white people and you know most the high paying jobs are white people they look at it you know most of the people in the senate and most of the people in the house and all the supreme court justices including clarence thomas he's secretly white um are white and they think it's a white supremacist society i mean they think they basically think it's south africa well, most and, um, in poverty are white too, because most in the country are white. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, you just you can't you can't let the identity politics take over the okay. discussion. Unless you're uh, one of the kings of the grievance industry, that like the Black Lives Matter uh, leader, who now right. has four black manners. <laughs> They no, I, I think that one of the things that made one of the things that made Trump so hated by the left was the fact that he was willing to talk back to them, and and I think that the left will yes. always tell you who that they, who they're afraid of, and they're afraid of somebody who'll talk back. They want they want the the Republicans that know their place. Ed, can I correct you, please? Yeah, not just which why Trump was hated by the left. That's why he was hated by the right. Yeah, that too, because a lot of people on the right are afraid of standing up to the left, too. Yeah. yeah. George Bush is much better pals with uh, the left than he is with Trump. Romney's, been, yeah. you know, so that's the problem. He pissed off the right precisely because he wouldn't play their game of like 
what do you call the Washington Nationals? What do you call them? Yeah, the Washington Generals. Generals. Yeah, Generals, right. He and he busted up that role. So you're right, but it's not only the left; it's also the right. I, would, I wouldn't exactly call Bush and Romney the right, but I, I mean, understand. okay, the Republicans, yeah. the Republicans, the rhinos. What's next, Steve? Um, very quickly, the Babbitt shooting. Poor Ashley Babbitt, and you brought up the fact that he's not charged. What's up with this? Well, I mean, is anybody, is this mysterious, right? I mean, no. Anybody While we're out burning cities down because cops kill people without a good cause, we're pr protecting a cop who shot somebody in cold blood without a good cause just because she's on Trump's side. And again, the double standard is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think the federal government showed um, under Trump, I don't, I don't exactly know what uh, it's, happened under Biden that they will defend federal property, but that's basically it. And the local governments won't defend private property. So when you're burning down private property, that's fine. It's only when you uh, threaten the, you know, the power centers of the state. I mean, it was the, wasn't the mayor of St. Louis, they went and started protesting her house and all of a sudden then mm -hmm. um, she started to crack down. No, that was Chicago. It was a very yeah. lightweight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you threaten the power, yeah. the state, you know, the the cathedral. Her, I think her, her um her reasoning was I'm not and she said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologize for defending my family. Yeah, exactly. What a loser. But you're turn all your guns, all you proles. Yeah. I think with the Ashley Babbitt murder though, I, I think there's a little more to it and it requires a little bit of speculation because they're not giving us the facts. Uh, but we, we were told, or there's, there's been rumors that the Sergeant of Arms at both the House and the Senate were given advance notice of a, pro of, of a potential riot and of a potential, quote, insurrection. Uh, they were told to stand down. Presumably, the only people who could tell them to stand down was Nancy Pelosi in the House and Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Um, but it, my understanding is that the mayor of D.C. was aware of it, the police chief was aware of it, and the sergeant of arms of both houses was aware. And I think to have a prosecution of Ashley Babbitt's killer and to, to really get into the details of what happened on January 6th is something that they, they're definitely afraid of. They don't want to do it. And if you remember Trump's second impeachment, when he called their bluff and said, let's start calling witnesses, they caved immediately because they didn't want witnesses. And I think that Mitch McConnell in particular is the one who doesn't want witnesses because he's the one who stands the most to lose if those, I don't want to call them conspiracy theories because I don't think they're conspiracy theories. They're just uncorroborated or unproved theories right now. Um, and I think that's really what's going on there. They don't want, they, they want that case, they want that situation to go away. They don't want a criminal trial. They don't want a defense attorney to start poking around and start issuing subpoenas and compelling testimony. They want it to go away. And that's, that's, and they have the power to do it. That's what's and going I'm, on. I'm sure they will settle with uh, Babbitt's family for some amount of money long before discovery. Um, and uh, because they don't want, they don't want any discovery. They don't want any witnesses. They don't want anything. Exactly. To do with that. They obviously from the film we saw, l let people into the Capitol. They're going to, you know, go after every single person, um, you know, with 
with the full force of the federal government, the FBI says they have hundreds of agents looking for all those people who went in the Capitol. And some of them just went in and looked around and like didn't do anything, but they're all going to be charged with federal crimes. They'll all probably get. Not going to be. A lot of them already are. Already are. And uh, some of the guys being held without bail. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 of course, when you, when you attack the power center, then they're going to react. Uh, they're going to overreact. And that's kind of what happened, I think. If, if well, uh, Why do you use the left's language? It wasn't an attack in any way. They were invited in. The police were walking around. Well, I mean, there were people who were like breaking windows and trying to get into places. You know, I mean, you could see that on the video. I, I'd say like, you know, the, uh, be, beyond the half dozen or dozen a Asians provocateur who were there, um, you know, there were people who were behaving badly. I mean, it, that- Well, it's, but let's be honest, if, if, if this behavior was exactly the same, but it was people on the left doing it- Oh, well, it's already I, happened that way. I, it's I'm already like, happened. Well, I'm just saying like, that's this- uh, the double standard is what is so disturbing. It's not no, just- They didn't have the, double standards, playing playing out standards of, at all. Right, I mean, you to me, shouldn't the, I, I'm used the government. To, the standard. Just, to me, what, the, what bothers me is not the double standard, but the abject refusal of the Republicans to stand up and throw the table up and say, we're not playing this game anymore. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And until the Republican party is a real- Trump was willing to and look what happened. Huh? Trump what? was willing to, Trump was willing to- I was going to say let's Trump not, was willing to, right? And let's he, not he lionize Trump. Him. I mean, I think Trump. I'm not trying to. I There's a lot I don't like about him, but you got to yeah. give him that. I, I, I do agree. And I brought that up a few minutes ago that he did stand up to them. But some of it was just for show, I think. I don't, you know, the bottom line was he didn't stand up to them when, when it counted. When the chips were down, he, he went with the COVID fascism. When the chips were yeah. down, he let Portland and Seattle burn. You're he right. Let other cities burn. I mean, it, he didn't stand up to them when it really mattered. Um, yeah. He stood up to them about things that, you know, we're all thrilled about it because no Republican stands up to them. Mm -hmm. And he did more than any of them, any of them. But he really didn't on any of the fundamental, really crucially important things. What did you want? You're him right. To, You're right. What did you want him to do again about all those BLM Antifa riots across the cities last year? Send in the National Guard, send in the army if you had to crush the revolt, crush the, call them insurrectionists and well, put it down. Well, if you call it an insurrection, yeah, but I mean, Constitution. Eisen, I said this on the show last summer, Mike, I don't know if you were with us. If Eisenhower could send troops to Little Rock to make sure those black children could go to school, there is no doubt in my mind that Trump had the authority to send troops to protect a federal courthouse in Portland to, or to prevent cities from burning to the ground. There's no doubt in my mind he should have done it, and and we're paying the price for it for his inaction right now. And constitutionally, he's allowed to call up the militia, though, right? But we don't have that. I'm not sure constitutionally what he would or sh should or shouldn't have done, but it could have been done. And and if he had to exceed the Constitution the way Lincoln did, going you know, at, better better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm. He's letting the country burn to the ground right now. Well, we've got pretty radical opinions on this show, don't we? <laughs> so let's go to uh, yeah, Mr. Know. Sicknick. You know, Laser wrote 
a letter that only Laser could write. I believe it was, it may not have been to CNN, I can't remember. It was to one of the many people who had reported that Sicknick was killed by a fire extinguisher bashing his head. Steve, you should explain to the listeners who Sicknick is. Somebody People might not know. Left it for you, go. <laughs> well, he was a police officer, a Capitol police officer who was said to have been killed during the riots with a fire extinguisher. It turns out that he wasn't. You know, Laser's letter, you guys know Laser, was so vicious. Even I thought it was over the top because it was still like a 1% chance that maybe he was killed by a fire extinguisher. And Laser was excoriating this writer. I'm looking for the letter, I can't find it. For how dare you report something that had zero basis in fact. Well, now the press is coming out and saying, hey, what? There was zero basis in fact. There was never a shred of an iota of evidence. And yet this was used as part of an impeachment and as a blanket indictment against all of us uh, deplorables over here. And I think, you know, Bongino went nuts on this, I think yesterday, and I agree with him. I don't agree with him a lot, but he was great on this. Tucker, I think had a, a big thing on this as well. We are being lied to wholesale so unbelievably mm-hmm. badly. And it, you yeah. know, of course, I always harp on the media. And like Jody said, people aren't getting information. I don't so have what, an answer for this, but it's unbelievable how we are being lied to in this country. Yeah. And Glenn Green- Greenwald on Tucker brought up a good point when he was saying how those very people who are systemically lying um, are also the ones trying to control what all of us individual people say in social media they want they're calling what we say misinformation we need to be controlled while they systemically lie mm-hmm. and glenn greenwald i believe is a liberal have we, a communist. what has happened to the world when just the statement did you see glenn greenwald on tucker carlson i mean that show <laughs> crazy the world is and the benefit of trump if there's any benefit he did a lot he he did some things that are good but temporary he did some things that are bad many things that are bad but is he basically exposed both the press as liars and the government you know the deep state the bureaucrats as liars those are his two major accomplishments so here's here's what's scary pillification of a, a half of the american public What's scary to me is we have 100% proof that the out and out made up a story about Sicknick with zero evidence. Um, And obviously it's not the first time, this is one of the more blatant times. We're then supposed to rely on them that there was no election fraud because they said so. Um, And I hate to go back to a total conspiracy theory to birtherism, but we're supposed to believe there was no truth to that because they said so. And the more they're caught in blatant lies, the more difficult it is for me to believe anything that they absolutely squash and say, we're not allowed to talk about. It makes me think even more and more that it's the truth and they can cover up anything if they want to. And this is really, really scary stuff in my opinion. It's just, not, it's nothing new though, is it? I mean, we've been dealing with this forever. I mean, the one thing that's true What's new, I think, is is the overwhelming amount of evidence. Yeah. We used to suspect it. Now we have proof, whether it's the James O'Keefe video, video videos, or or you know this Brian Sicknick story. We've got we've got hard proof now that they are lying to us, 
And, and as I'm listening to you, Steve, and listening to the conversation, I'm thinking about all the interviews of Republican leaders that I see on TV, including, including one, of our, one of my favorites, Ted Cruz, who will, they'll, they'll get on TV and they'll say that the, the media is committing malpractice. The media is doing horrible things to this country. Well, yeah, all right, we know that. How about taking the next step? How about just putting your own facts forward, putting your own story forward? Tucker is giving you a microphone. Hannity is giving you a microphone. Levin is giving you a microphone. Speak up, stop complaining, and do something. Well, this also goes back to the New York Times case. Yeah, the New York Times versus Sullivan case, where they can. I, I agree with your, what you're saying, too. I mean, we just went through George Floyd and it was all about video. Well, James O'Keefe does a great job with that kind of thing. But I also harken back to Dan Rather getting caught lying about George W. Bush. I mean, he got caught. So we, we have caught them at times. But I, I do agree it's gotten worse. I mean, again, I, I was a communications director. I dealt with the press. Um, I know other people who, who have done so over the years who now basically when they get a call from a left wing media outlet or reporter, they just click. I mean, they're not out to be the least bit fair anymore. So yeah, I mean, obviously it has gotten worse. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when the James O'Keefe things came out about CNN and I wrote it down, was anybody surprised? No. No. The CNN is literally no. saying we're pure propaganda. We were out there to get Trump. We, it, it's just unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And again, 10% of the country is influenced by this. I really believe that. We're not, and the left isn't. But 10% of the people in the middle, this is all they hear. And if we bash the guy's head in, I got to tell you something. I was not happy that we bashed a cop's head in. I thought that really was disgusting. Only 10%? I'm picking a number out of the hat. I don't know what it is, but it is a, a portion of the country. It would be larger. I just it, it maybe I have no idea what the number well, is. But I was I was apologetic. Ninety-five percent of the media class. That. What's that? Ninety-five percent of the media class. You know that's that's the basic idea, and and there are minions on well, Twitter. You know, I mean, Twitter is we're we're ruled by Twitter. Speaking of I'm not on Twitter. The, the one thing we have to understand about any breaking news event is whatever you read immediately after the event, if it's along the narrative, right? We all know what the narrative is: white people bad, white supremacy, America bad, capitalism bad. You know, anything you read immediately after a news event that is along the narrative is false. I, I if if you uh, if they if Las Vegas would allow you to bet on that. I would have. I, I could stop working in a year because it's all the immediate take is always of, of Twitter. Oh. Real quick, I mean the whole Maxine Waters thing. I mean, Trump never did or said anything remotely close to what she did, and he gets totally banned forever. Yep. What did they do to her? Nothing. Good um, point, Mike. And, and the the other thing too is this whole James O'Keefe lawsuit now against them and CNN. I. Wish him Godspeed. I, I hope he succeeds, obviously. I, I don't know if uh, he's going to or not. Maybe Ed chime in. On, on, I don't think he has a chance of suing Twitter. I, I, I hope he wins. I, I mean, I, I, I wish he wins. I, I just don't see the legal cause of action um, under the current state of the law. Now that we all agree, I think that the law should be- saying changed. they're defaming him, though, because they accused him of creating fake accounts, and he didn't which to me is different than 
well, here's our terms of service. Well, it's true, but I mean, have you read James O'Keefe's Wikipedia page? Everything on it is defamation. And the whole damn page is defamation. Why isn't he suing Wikipedia? I, I, I happen to know him from, I, I've met him a few times over the years. He's, he's from, he's a Jersey boy, grew up near where I, I grew up. But, um, you know, I find it funny because the left always has the same attacks against him. I mean, he, he's, he's got guts, man. You talk about somebody on the right that's got guts. I don't know if anybody has more guts than he does. Uh, but the left always makes the same claims about him. Like he edits his stuff and then he puts out the whole video. It's like, here it is. They still lie about him. So, but listen, I, I wish him Godspeed. I hope he, I hope these suits, I hope he, he wins big in both cases. I really and do. He got, didn't his organization get in a lot of trouble down South that they broke their way into some Congresswoman's office under false pretenses. You guys remember that? I do I think remember he was recording somebody not answering the phone or something, and they got in a lot of trouble for that. And were they the ones involved in the uh, Planned Parenthood business of selling body parts, or was that a separate group? I think that was O'Keefe. Yeah, and they're in loads of trouble. They have people under indictment. So the fight against O'Keefe is, is pretty strong. you got to have amazing guts. So the, the left is coming at him really, really strong with criminal charges. So yeah, and by the way, I expect Ed to chime in. Where is everybody else? Why aren't there a hundred James O'Keefe's? Mm -hmm. The um, Charles Murray once made a suggestion. I think it was Charles Murray, or yeah, or yeah, to like set up a fund to fight, legally fight the government when it overreaches, or in this case, the big tech companies went or the banks with overreach and it wouldn't take a lot of money his point is it, you know if there's some billionaire out there who wanted to invest say a hundred million dollars in a fund to specifically fight the government and big tech um that would all all we would need to start winning some of these things i mean so, you know there's Institute for Justice does good work and there's uh, other things, but they're on small like property cases or whatnot. But he, his point was like, no, when the EPA comes and says, you can't farm your land anymore, you know, throw lawyers at them because they don't, we think the government is all powerful, but they're not. And all you need to do is start is fight them everywhere and you could do it and it wouldn't take a lot of money. I think well, it's- why, why doesn't, you know, a Trump kind of thing do that? You know, where are all these rich people on well, the Mike right? Lindell just started his new thing this week. I don't know what's gonna happen with that. Is Frank or frankspeech.com thing? Anybody following that? I followed a little bit. I can't get on the site, so. Yeah, you can't get on it yet. That's supposed to be another one of the answers to this. I have no idea if that's gonna work. Um, alternate media. I, I don't think it will. I mean, I, I, I know that for some reason, um, you know, because Gab was the first and all the unsavory people went there, uh, that Gab has this, you know, oh, it's the Nazi site, but it's not. It's the right answer and it's the right technology. And that's where we shouldn't be creating a billion more different things, hoping that it goes on. We should solidify around one or two of them and, and you know, Gab is really anti-fragile and that's what's needed in this society. Yeah. Um, as we saw with Parler, <laughs> Parler was the opposite of anti-fragile. Parler was the most fragile thing in the, you know, in the whole universe. Whereas uh, the guys in charge of Gab, he has gone 
and put a lot of money into making it anti-fragile and that's what you need. And I'm sure there's Frank, we can't even get on it. So it's obviously fragile. So it's not gonna go anywhere. Yeah, well, I do agree with you. Having 10 attempts at it is just diluting you know, everybody's participation. And I don't know how we're gonna decide which one or two to gather around. Well, you know, we talked about it before, getting off Facebook. And I've been off it since January. I don't really miss it. I mean, I have my personal one where I still occasionally, but I don't miss it. Yeah, I've been mostly off Facebook, um, except for like personal, uh, you know, cat pictures and pictures of other people's children, that sort of thing. Um, since, I don't know, since they, they started the... Um, they started the big purge on January 6th and I, my friends and I moved all of our political discussions to signal. Um, and I don't miss it at all, at all. I thought I would miss it and I, I don't miss it at all either. Mike, you're smiling. Yeah, I'm still on it and I look, and, but it's not the same place that it was. Yeah, it, it definitely is not. There's times when I post things and I'm like, anybody seeing this? <laughs> I mean, That's the way it is on MeWe. Nobody I, ever sees anything, but and it's the same with the you know my political Twitter, right? I hardly use that anymore at all. I use solely I use Telegram, and I subscribe to those people who have been bad. I, uh, not because I agree with them all, because some of them are nutcases, but it it they're the ones that Twitter doesn't want you to read. They're the ones I'm going to read. Yeah, I, I think I'd. Shared that Stanford study. I think Steve, you had passed it along uh, about the masks and how they're not effective. And I put that up, and I didn't get anybody responding to it, reacting to it, and I thought I would. And that—that's when I scratch my head sometimes and say, maybe they're suppressing something like that now on Facebook. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but uh, just big picture, I think there just still is not any platform out there that's equivalent to Facebook and its capabilities. Um, nor an equivalent to Twitter yet. I think Parler was not a good platform. I think MeWe has some benefits that I like. I think Gab did, but neither of them are on par with what Facebook offers. And, um, you know, from there, obviously there's other aspects of it that prevent me from leaving. Um, but we've talked about this before. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but until there's anything equivalent in capability, I don't, I don't see anything big happening. Now, I, I don't use Facebook much for politics. I'm afraid to like anything having to do with politics because I'll get banned. But there are a couple other issues in life that I'm interested in. And that is where the action is. So it's I, I can't say I don't miss it. I read it. And there's a lot of stuff on there I would not see otherwise on unrelated issues that interest me. Um, I don't want to end this show on a bad note. I do want to mention the great news in New Jersey. Um, I feel very bad for Ed for leaving New Jersey. He missed out on this. You can now change your driver's license to X. Mike, are you going to be doing that? Maybe I'll have to do yeah, that. Your, your gender, your gender, right? Well, your so I could change it to X. XY. That'd be great. But yeah, why? Why is it just X? X. That's you can now be other. The whole laundry list of options. Be I don't think they can get enough room on them yet. I think they should do that. But I, I got to tell you, this is so, and yet I just saw another article the other day, um, and I know my medic sons talk about it. There are major medical differences between the two genders, and they are treated very, very differently for many, many illnesses and symptoms. 
And I saw another article the other day how doctors are in big trouble if they don't recognize the fact that a woman is treated one way and a man is treated another way. And this X thing is unbelievable. Like I said before, there are people who have changed their driver's license to female to get cuts on their car insurance. Um, I think it takes 15 minutes to save 15% on Geico to do that. And you, you almost have to ask, why isn't everybody doing this? This is so absurd. Yeah. Well, before we go- well, everybody wanna... will, I'm sure. Oh, so say, did you wanna get to a couple of foreign policy issues before we go? Um, I'm gonna get to anything anybody wants to get to. I just wanted to have good news to share. Well, real quick, one other nice one about New Jersey. Apparently, because of all this um, pro-cannabis stuff going on, they had the time to put together a cannabis or weed playlist that they disseminated out. So, what do you mean playlist? Different songs that have to do with weed or toking up or you know that, the, that the state put out. Dragon, yeah. So they had time for that. That that's oh, New Jersey. For you you got to send me that. <laughs> and Chris Christie may run for president. Oh, good grief! <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Apparently, Virginia is going to legalize marijuana in the next few months. I, I don't exactly understand what that even means because I'm not allowed to use marijuana. And the weird thing is, like, anyone, anyone who works for the government is not allowed to use it. And anyone, unless you're, you know, politically privileged, which we discussed earlier, and anyone who owns a firearm is not allowed to use marijuana. Now, I, we understand that if you're Hunter Biden, you can lie the 4473s and you can get away with it. But uh, if if you're me, uh, it'll be uh, Fort Leavenworth if I touch marijuana, whether it's legal or not. So I'm staying away from it. I thought it helps if you don't inhale. That's true. That's true. If you don't inhale. Um, yeah. Start talking about cigars too. Okay, Ed M. Uh, well, I mean, maybe we just throw some things out there and just we'll pick up next week on them. Or if anyone wants to discuss today, I mean, go for it. We talked we talked a week or two ago about the crisis in Ukraine and, and Russia, and that seems to be intensifying. I think it's something to at least make mention of, um, you know, the last four years we've listened to the Biden administration to, to the Democrats talk about how Putin was in Trump's hands and, you know, Putin, you know, Trump was a Putin puppet and. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, it looks like there might be a war in, in Ukraine and the, the Russians are massing troops to invade portions of it. Um, and the Biden team is starting to talk tough. Are they going to are they going to have a they're going to send American troops over there? I don't know. Um, you know, he's he's bringing the troops home from Afghanistan, which, you know, God help me for saying anything positive about Biden. But I, I applaud that move. I think it's long since time to get our troops out of Afghanistan. It's, they're not serving any useful purpose, but is he going to pick a war? I, if we're going to have a war, I'd rather be fighting in the, in the hills of Afghanistan than fighting the Russians in, in uh, Ukraine. Um, you know, the Chinese have been getting a little bellicose. Um, you know, he's, he's amping up the rhetoric in, uh, uh, you know, in the Middle East. Uh, the Trump peace treaties, you know, they're still in place, but uh, I saw an interview with, um, oh, what's his name? The, the Israeli ambassador, I think. Uh, I forget his name, but, you know, they're, they're, they're worried. They're worried that Biden doesn't have their back. Um, I, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the world is, is, 
a dangerous place. You know, someone used the word fragile when it came to the social media companies. You know, we've got a lot of things going on. You know, the 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 Winter Olympics are coming to to China next year. We've got the Tokyo Olympics that are going to be this summer. Um, you know, we talked a little bit in the past about whether we should be sending our athletes to China. You know, my opinion is we shouldn't be doing anything with China. We should be disengaging entirely, not just the Olympics, but economically and and politically. We should be disengaging and, and disentangling ourselves with them. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, again, we're running low on time, so I don't know if that's something. Okay, I'm um, speaking say. of Tokyo. Did you hear a Japanese boy won the golf masters? It wasn't a boy. It was a man, right? No, Biden said it was a Japanese boy. You didn't hear that? Oh, I didn't hear that. No. You didn't hear that? Can you imagine if Trump would have said a Japanese boy and he said it in front of the Japanese prime minister? Something uh, about sent this Japanese boy over here. Can you imagine such a thing? President asterisk. <laughs> um, you know, Ed, I learned a lot last week and we had a really good talk about Ukraine and you know, my gut, because I used to be a conservative and a Reaganite, was we need to protect these people. And my libertarian side is really fighting against that. Um, the same thing with Taiwan. I think Taiwan is in tremendous danger. And I can't figure out, is that something we're supposed to fight for or not? There are people calling for us to protect them. And I'm just stuck on it. And I have to tell you, um, I have heard Jews, and I'm not going to mention names, who have said, you know what, if the Russians and Ukrainians want to kill each other, so be it. So I don't know if that's the right way to look at it, but a lot of people don't have any great love for either of them. I'm, I'm not sure our foreign policy establishment has the best interest of the United States or even the world at heart. Uh, so let's, let's start there. But let's assume that they did. There's a difference between saying, well, we should support uh, U Ukraine's independence. Ukraine's Ukraine being independent is a good thing for the world. I, I think, you know, we can all agree with that. Um, and then, you know, how do we support it? And I, there's just no way. I mean, I, you know, I, I wish there was a way that we could do something other than, you know, give them some artillery and tanks and stuff. We can do that. But other than that, there's just no way. The Ukrainians are going to have to fight for their own country. We can't fight for them. And if we do the Russians will kick our ass because we have an 8,000 mile um, logistics trail and, and they have a you know, 500 mile logistics trail. As far as Taiwan is concerned, I, I think that um, you know, it's, it's, it's a waiting game. Uh, tai, uh, the Chinese are, are adopting the Spartan strategy in the uh, Peloponnesian War. I mean, the only reason that the Spartans won against the Athenians Athenians were a huge naval power and the Spartans were a huge land power, um, was the Spartans decided to build a navy. And they built a navy and, and they built a bigger navy than the Athenians. And they crushed the Athenian navy and sailed into the harbor at Athens and the war was over. And that's the Chinese strategy. That's what they're doing. They're building a bigger navy now. They have more boats than we do. They, they don't have the technology that we do, but um, they are adopting uh, the Spartan strategy. And I think at some point, you know, they're going to, they're going to be unchallengeable in, in the Western Pacific, but it's not that day right now. And so between now and then we can figure out how to, you know, counter their moves and we can help arm the Taiwanese and they can help fight 
for themselves. But, you know, again, there's like 10,000 miles between the internet. Well, if Hawaii is a staging base, but Hawaii isn't that. I mean, they have missiles that can reach Hawaii. So, and not just nuclear missiles, just conventional missiles. Um, they could do a Pearl Harbor on us uh, next week. Um, I don't think they would conventional weapons. Come on. What's that? Maisie Hirona would call them up and make friends. I'm, I'm sure she, I'm sure, I'm sure she would. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're vulnerable to these new missiles. Um, and I, I don't like that. So I, I think we've got a lot of work to do in trying to, you know, prevent that vulnerability. You know, even as a libertarian, I'm a big fan of peace through strength. I want America to be strong enough to be able to pick up a phone and say, dude, don't do this. But yeah, I mean, the, the you know, walk, walk, talk softly and carry a big stick. Well, we're talking loudly and carrying, you know, a Twizzlers. potato or something, you know, it was twig or something. Toothpick. Um, there was an old story. Uh, well, it's not, it's, it's a very old story, but when um, one of the Seleucid Kings was fighting with the, you know, Egyptian Pharaoh, um, the ar huge armies, you know, 50, 60, 100,000 troops marching each other and uh, Rome uh, sent uh, three senators to, um, to talk to them. And it's a long enough story, but the, they, they basically said, stop it. And the two Kings with their two armies turned around and went back home because the Romans sent a delegation of three people to tell him to cut it out. Now that is power. Mm -hmm. And that is what the United States used to have. And we do not have that anymore at all. Mike, you want to say something? No, I mean, look, I mean, Ed P is far more of an expert on this stuff than, than I am. Um, but this is part of the reason I brought up Japan last week because I'm just thinking in simple terms, in terms of deterrence. And, you know, I think if there's a country that would help in that regard, it would be a well-armed Japan. But again, I'm not, I'm far from an expert on this stuff. Now, there used to be this organization, I think, that was started to prevent this kind of stuff. I think they have headquarters here in Manhattan. Forget their name. Yeah. So, Ed, what do you want to say about all this? Do you have any great advice? Ed M? Um, my, my great, I mean, my great advice is I think that we should be fo focusing on an America first policy. I think we should be disentangling. I think that, that globalism is the new socialism. And I think that uh, we, we need to stop thinking in globalist terms. We need to start thinking in, in terms of America first and putting America for America's interest first in all in all situations. Um, yes, we have an interest in free countries around the world, but you know, you said something a few minutes ago, Steve, that I think is really poignant, and it's that the Ukrainians are going to need to to you know fight for their own freedom, or maybe Ed Powell said Ed that. Said it. Ed said it. Don't blame me. Well, it's not blame. I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, every everybody has to fight for their own freedom. 
And yes, we can help them. You know, the French helped us during the American Revolutionary War. But the bottom line is you've got to fight for your own freedom. You've got to be willing to fight. And, um, you know, we've got to be willing to fight here, too. I mean, we, you know, we talk about things like peaceful separation and, and you know, secession and all sorts of different, you know, strategies that, you know, have different levels of violence. And while I don't, while I don't support violence per se, I, I do think that we, we can't take anything off the table. You know, Schumer was very clear that nothing was off the table for him. And we need to be willing to say nothing's off the table for us. And when we look back at the American Revolution, you know, they got pissed off over a lot less than what's being done to us right now. And it's just something that's really sticking out in my head, how much we're willing to take before we say enough is enough. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm at that point myself. I know there are people on our show and, and in our circle that, you know, are past that line. I've got other friends that are past that line. The Republican Party doesn't seem past that line, or at least most of them aren't. And that's really that's really the, the $64,000 question. You know, when are the Republican when is the Republican Party going to become a true opposition party? And if not, when are we going to just form a different party or or move on without them? And, you know, that's that's really how I see the future going forward. You know, for all the threat that uh, China represents, I don't think Putin is a threat, to be honest, but to the extent that he's a threat. The threat to American freedom is America's own ruling class. That's the primary threat. And, yep. you know, China's not making it any better by paying them off like they paid off Biden. Um, but America's ruling class is the threat to our freedoms, and that's what we have to focus on. And what do you do I about think it? A digital currency is a big threat to our freedom, but that's a whole, you know, we've, we've talked about that in the past, but I, I see that as a, as a means of absolute total control over everything you do. It's, it's the surveillance state on steroids. And, and China is way ahead of us on that. Uh, and, you know, good, good, you know, with good reason and let them do it. Let them do it in their country. We shouldn't do it here. But that's something that we need to be on the lookout for. Well, can we agree that on the current trajectory, the prognosis for the United States as a free country is not good? I don't agree with that. I don't. I think that the future is undetermined right now. Okay, got one. Awesome. I agree. I mean, I, I think we have. Uh, you know, there's a couple of potential outcomes for uh, where we are now, and you know, becoming more free is one of the lower odds ones. I don't. I think it's like eight to one now in the horse race. Um, you know, the the leading contender is you know make America Venezuela again, and that's the, that's the leading contender. And as far as, uh, you know, the other leading contender is some sort of dissolution. Look, I, 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 I'm actually not as, I, I can't bring myself to be as positive as you guys about the future of the country. I think given what's going on, what the left is after, um, knowing that the natural tendency is for government to grow and liberty to yield. I think we're so far gone in so many respects. I, I just, I don't know how ever, how we ever recapture the republic we're supposed to have. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how we ever. Well, the know. interesting, there, I mean, I don't want to say, but they're interesting. I've been reading um, Curtis Yarvin uh, lately and um, he, these inflection points in history happen 
you know, really unexpectedly and, um, and not always violently, you know, like uh, that's the thing is like this, this woke, this, this wokeness that has happened in the last five years, there's an entire revolution in, in everything we're doing from, you know, education to, um, and the COVIDarianism and all, you know, all that put together this whole, whole woke thing, that was not a violent revolution, but it was a revolution. I mean, it was completely revolutionary in how everything changed in the United States. And, um, you know, the counter-revolution doesn't have to be violent either. Um, you can't even tear down the Department of Education. How are we going to tear down the rest of Washington apparatus. Well, it's it's it's. it's said who who was it who said that the the revol the American Revolution um, was in the minds of the people from like you know 1765 to 1775, long before it became you know they took up arms and and 1963, I, I think, but yeah, what, what's that? 1763 to 1775. Yeah, the idea is the revolution that goes on in people's minds. And I think the red pilling of a large segment of the United States with regard to the honesty of the press and the honesty of our government leaders, I mean, the whole Fauci catastrophe. I mean, he, he, I know people who think Fauci is God. Um, I don't, and I, and I, the cognitive dissidence of, you know, Fauci saying X today and Y tomorrow and not X Thursday, um, I, they don't seem to get that. But there's a large amount of people who are being completely red-pilled by this, this uh, you know, the branch COVIDians. And uh, I think th that a change for the better could happen. It could On the have. other hand, you know, we're a lot smarter today, the left. And in the days of the revolution, there was not a concerted campaign against quote unquote toxic masculinity. And they have to destroy masculinity because otherwise something will happen. And unfortunately, they're doing a pretty good job at that. You know, masculinity is not a value in America. Yeah, unless you look on, uh, you know, Tinder. I, well, 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 I don't look on Tinder, and I'm sure you have friends maybe who do. Well, I don't look on Tinder either, but I read about it, and, and it's the, the soy boys aren't getting any girls. You know, uh, I, oh, yeah. I, I, it's funny, you know, the, the girls want sensitive, caring, funny, uh, um, you know, feminist men, um, but then they go on Tinder and they you know, look at muscles and stuff. I, I, it, I, I think there's, you know, there are different types of red pills and there's different penetration of the population, but it's, I, I think we are seeing, now whether that means there's going to be a civil war or whether a dissolution or whether it's a kind of a, gonna take over and change the thing. But I'll tell you, the longer Anthony Fauci stays in the government, the better chance we have of affecting a peaceful revolution, that's for sure. So I'm definitely in favor of Fauci staying exactly where he is. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap up for today, folks. Sounds good. Thank you very much. We'll be up on SoundCloud, Rumble, and iTunes, hopefully within about a half hour or an hour. And as always, please join us live and or send comments to us at EJS Show at protonmail.com. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day.